Welcome to ArtsCast Nebraska, a podcast about the creative activities and research of the faculty and alumni of the Hickson Lead College of Fine and Performing Arts at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm Chris Marks, Associate Dean of the College, and it's my privilege to share with you these conversations about the fascinating work that our faculty and alumni do in the fine and performing arts. In this episode, I speak with Haywan Huang, an assistant professor of practice in dance. Haywan's research and creative activity revolves heavily around expression of cultural identity, so I began by asking her about where she grew up and how she first encountered dance. So I was born in Seoul, South Korea, and one day, I think I was 10 at the time, I followed my friend who was going to a a local dance studio to take ballet class. I was just curious and I followed her. And when I saw this beautiful aesthetic form, I just had to, you know, beg my parents, you know, to let me enroll in that class. In a week, I was in, and that's how I started my journey as a dancer. So did you know right away when you were that young age that this was what you wanted to do with your life, or did it take you a while? Actually, it's funny. I think... I knew immediately that I probably wanted to be a professional dancer or a dance teacher. I wasn't quite sure, like you know, at the time I didn't really crystallize my career, uh, but I knew that I was going to do something in the field of dance. My impression is that most dancers end up starting out with ballet and do a lot of ballet yeah. early on, and I um, wonder, you said you, you had traditional Korean dance. Mm-hmm. Is that a, a normal part of a, a Korean's upbringing in dance or, or not? How, how does that interface with the, with the ballet training? I'm really glad that you asked that question. Because <laughs> I, you know, like ballet was there, like here, dance wasn't um, part of school curriculum in public school. So students had to take uh, dance as after-school program. So I would say mostly ballet were you know, probably the popular one. Um, so really, like when I came um, the U.S. or you know U.K., uh, people were asking like, oh, so you're from Korea, so can you dance, Korean dance. I was like, I, um, well, actually my major was ballet, so I feel more comfortable dancing ballet rather than traditional Korean dance. So I guess maybe um, to answer your question is, yeah, ballet was really common. In addition to Korean traditional dance, I chose ballet. So was that a, a, a typical part of a Korean cultural upbringing to have such a kind of Western focus? I mean, was there, was there not a, a sense yeah. of promoting Korean culture through, through yeah. some of the, the arts and, mm-hmm. and other things? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, so the, we had the Korean War in 1950, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s, the nation was focusing on economic development and you know, didn't really, uh, art was important, but it wasn't really their focus to you know, nurture 
So parents, most parents, uh, wanted their children to become a doctor or lawyer, uh, or you know, uh, maybe a, some career that they can you know earn lots of money. So dance, you know, like like other art, like music and visual art, weren't really you know there. So I would say maybe in eighty up until eighties. It wasn't really uh, available. And 90s when you know, Korea started to open to the world and the economy you know, was uh, in good shape and uh, uh, they started you know, maybe open to different cultures and there are many options that they could take uh, rather than just ballet, modern and Korean traditional dance, maybe perhaps a salsa uh, dance or hip hop. And those became popular probably since 1990s. And now 2000s, you will, you probably hear like a K-pop. K-pop is all over the place. And so, <laughs> um, and now, you know, celebrities have been looked up by young, um, uh, young adults and uh, those area in the past weren't really um, respected and so there are many reasons that probably dance wasn't popular. So you grew up uh, and took ballet and you did a degree and you came to the UK and the United States and and people asked about traditional Korean dance so did you go back and fill that in and then and learn about traditional Korean dance? Yeah, so because I trained in ballet and modern dance, which you know uh, are the forms from the West, uh, when I came out to study in the UK and US, um, I didn't really feel, you know, stranger. But because of how I viewed, because of my skin color, or my accent, or you know, like language barrier, they started to question, like, oh, so we're from? And I said, Korea. And oh, then you speak Japanese. And I was like, no, we speak Korean. So I wanted to learn about my culture more so I can inform them better. And one of the ways that, because I was, I'm was i dancer, one of the ways that I could maybe inform about my culture is through dance. So each time I went home, while I was studying outside, uh, I started learning Korean traditional dance repertories, seriously. And um, that's how I kept you know, developing my skills in that genre, too. So you went on to do a PhD mm -hmm. in critical dance studies. Yes. And <laughs> Maybe people don't think about dance as a PhD and as an academic degree. So talk a little bit about uh, that work that you did and how dance is a, an academic yeah. discipline. It's about, you know, studies about dance. Uh, but the critical dance study that I uh, learned at UC Riverside uh, was looking at or doing, like, conducting innovative research in um, field of cultural, political, and historical studies of dance. And oftentimes, um, critical dance studies distinguish it from, let's say, performance studies, theater studies, or cultural studies. And it brings 
interdisciplinary approach to dance scholarship, and a lot of critical dance studies scholars engage with a variety of methodological approaches, including maybe critical race theory, feminist studies, gender and sexuality, political economy, and so um, theories, or maybe cultural studies too. Um, so theories that also use in other fields. You talked about K-pop a little while ago, and you seem <laughs> yeah. to have a, a, a scholarly, at least scholarly interest in K-pop. I don't know if you, it's also coming out in your creative work or not, but, but talk a little bit about yeah. how K-pop fits yeah. into your, your, your world right now. So uh, one of my research interests lies in um, this global circulation of dance or bodily practice. And um, I look at it through the lenses of gender, sexuality, culture policies, right, institutions, and globalization, and again, uh, identity too. So now looking at K-pop, um, it was developed in South Korea, and now it's circulated across the globe uh, and became so popular. And I was really curious about um, looking at dance choreography in the K-pop, because you know, that area has not been really uh, fully developed or not really explored much in North American scholarship. Um, People talk about music a lot, but not really dance part, because dance, I mean, you know, like if you look at the K-pop, I don't know if you have seen BTS or Gangnam Style, you know, uh, piece, and dance always involved, uh, but has not been fully explored. So my um, interest is looking at the dance part and the dancing bodies, um, and put those elements uh, at the center of discussion of global cultural globalization, um, but gender, sexuality, and some this neoliberal capitalism. Dance is often viewed as an inclusive art form, a safe space for diverse performers, collaborators, and audience members. I asked Haewon to talk more about this aspect of dance. So, dance is a life experience that anybody can enjoy, like, you know, like regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, even age, um, or body ability, uh, body type. So it welcome anyone uh, because this is a, maybe a form of human expression. The importance of dance or the beauty of dance is that um, it connects body, mind, and soul and offer space for them to express you know, their ideas, values. And I think maybe, I don't know, how many places you can really communicate with your full body. And we do a lot of um, communication through movement and with this bodily movement. And we listen to each other through you know, body contact and we become more patient. We try to understand each other through this fully embodied, you know, um, moment. And I think that's how we started to open our mind and started to listen to what 
others have to say. And through this beautiful aesthetic form that we are creating with probably some message that they are bringing in, it's more accessible. Um, so maybe that's my, maybe based on my experience, you know, as a person who grew up in Korea and started to, you know, dance with friends from all over the place, it was certainly uh, scary and I felt so intimidating. But at the same time, there was some excitement that I wanted to know about others uh, through the, you know, this beautiful aesthetic form that they are creating in space and time. Let's talk about your scholarship around cultural identity. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about how cultural identity is expressed in dance and mm -hmm. what your scholarship is in, in talking about that. Yeah. You know, identity has been always something that I have been negotiating. And especially, I'm living, you know, out of the culture of origin. Uh, and how I Id identify is different from how people identify me or how I'm perceived. Um, so, as I said, you know, the dance in Korean tradition, dance, for example, uh, is a way to claim my culture of origin. Although I am a modern dance teacher or you know, contemporary uh, choreographer, uh, but I bring those cultural elements into the choreographic uh, maybe approach or choreographic um, process. I also bring those elements uh, in my teaching, like how we, you know, bring body and mind together, more like you know, somatic way to um, understand our body, body as a site of inquiry rather than um, something to uh, objectify. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you know, like now I feel like. I can't really put myself into one culture category because I've been moving here and there. Like I grew up in Seoul, Korea, but I moved to the UK and studied there and also you know, came, came to the United States and East Coast and West Coast and Midwest and there's totally different cultures. <laughs> and so I would say when I say cultural identity also like include the subcultural identities and plural there. And when I um, visit my family and friends in Korea, I love seeing them, but at the same time, I feel like, oh, I want to go back home. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I feel like sometimes I don't really belong there, but I also don't belong here. So I always feel like I'm in between, like rootless. <laughs> so maybe this kind of third identity or identities, like multiple identities, um, are something that I have been negotiating just with myself, but also in my choreographic process, but also research process as a, as a researcher. So how does that multiple cultural identity come out in your choreography and your dancing? Does it, does it communicate yeah. to an audience? And do you do that intentionally? Sometimes I do it intentionally. Like I'm using um, Korean movement of vocabulary and combine that with modern dance vocabulary. So some kind of cultural hybridity is happening uh, in terms of movement. 
in terms of maybe content or idea, like these issues of layers or multiplicities of identities that you know, people like me might, you know, are struggling um, to find or maybe let it go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so unconsciously, I'm sure it's there. I don't know whether always you know, my audience would read it explicitly. And uh, the modern dance choreography that I have been creating has been very abstract. And sometimes I don't want to be too literal to express that and, and leave, you know, those interpretations, you know, open. So, like, just leave room for the audience to interpret how they want to reinterpret. So it's more like postmodern sense, you know. I'm not the you know, author who gives a fixed answer or this is the truth. Uh, it's, it's there, and the meanings could be interpreted, interpreted differently based on how you see it. So then, uh, if I'm watching... Uh, one of your performances, either as a dancer or choreographer or both, what what do you hope that I will take away from it? What what do you want the audience member to to experience and and remember? Just have that experience, you know, in that moment. I don't know whether it's gonna be the visual form that this person is perceiving, or the sound, or the texture of the chair, uh, or you know, just being there with other you know audience members. But you know, those experiences probably will. Uh, will be there, uh, or maybe you might memorize, memorize, or maybe, uh, something that you might remember, uh, or recall those memories when you have similar experiences in the, in the future. So, yeah, I mean, that's really hard because a lot of time, if uh, the audience in the Midwest don't have a lot of experiences in modern dance and came to our concert and well, it was great, but I don't know how to explain it. And so we say, it's okay, you know, like it's experience. And, you know, you are, um, you are probably, uh, will have more experience and you might have different perceptions or different ideas when you watch it again next time and you can create your own imagination based on what you saw tonight. So, I mean, that's kind of the first step that I offer to the, to the audience who is not familiar with the form, particularly. You've been listening to ArtsCast Nebraska, a podcast production of the Hickson Lead College of Fine and Performing Arts at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. This episode was recorded and edited by me, Chris Marks, with technical assistance from Jeff O'Brien at the Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Media Arts. Special thanks to Kathy Anderson and Ella Durham. For more information about the college, please visit arts.unl.edu. Thank you for listening, and remember to support the arts.